0: This is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com.
1: And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You
2: worked for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, Valdez. columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez on all the social media. 17 blocks away from Madison Square Garden is where I am usually. But today we're in the city of brotherly love on your airwaves. Uh, WPHT Talk Radio 1210. My amigos in the city of brotherly love. It's always great to be with you guys and everybody across America that's tuning in. Thank you. Pennsylvania parents have spoken up. And the same group that terminated Governor Wolf's edicts um, defeated five of nine school board members when a judge weighed in on this. And this is interesting stuff, because if you don't take care of who's on your school board, that spills over into a lot of other areas of life. But Pennsylvania judge did boot five Democrats off of the school board over a mask mandate. And kudos to them. I don't really care so much about the mask mandate as I do that we got rid of people that were putting in. Very poor policy that doesn't help our kids. And to me, that's important. And it comes on the heels of so many stories about kids and schools. So this order is the result of a parent filed petition to the Westchester Area School District back in February, according to Fox News. Now, the decision from the Court of Common Pleas states that the removal of the five board members from Chester, Westchester, was a procedural result and doesn't address any of the allegations that were made in the complaint. So I'll let them sort that out. But I know score for the good guys. Kudos to the parents that did that, because that's the type of effort and action that we need all the time. Otherwise, you end up in situations like a couple of weeks back, right? A couple of weeks ago, there was a big sting in Florida. You've heard about this in Polk County. So the Polk County Sheriff had a press conference, and I have some of the audio of that from a news report, and I'm going to let it play just for the sake of setting the tone, because out of 100 people, four of them worked for the Disney Corporation. Now, I guess, depending on where you are in Florida, they're a big company, lots of employees understood, but... He makes some interesting parallels, and in drawing those parallels, it shows that, you know, there was a judge that was caught up in this thing. One woman was a registered nurse. There's a lot of people that are involved in prostitution by way of trafficking, and child predators were also caught up in this. So I want you to listen to this really quick, and then we'll jump into the Disney stuff. Good morning, everyone.
3: It took six days for the sheriff's office to find 108 people trying to buy or sell sex in Polk County.
1: Then there's Xavier Jackson. He's 27.
3: He is accused of sending sexual images to someone he thought was a 14-year-old girl.
1: Oh, did I mention that he just happens to be a lifeguard at the Polynesian Resort for Disney? You think there's a few children around there?
3: Sheriff Grady Judd identified several other Disney employees accused of soliciting a prostitute.
1: This is the Honorable Daniel Peters.
3: Sheriff Judd said Peters is a retired judge from Cook County, Illinois, who thought he was meeting up with an escort.
1: He said, quote, I've been on the other side of this. Well, I'd like to ask him today, so which side do you like best?
3: In one case, detectives had to reschedule a meeting. The sheriff says Bradenton Seth Phillips demanded money anyway and showed up at the house with his girlfriend and a gun.
1: We opened the door with four of our guys with guns And he's got a gun above his head. He's coming down with his gun. Christina saves his life
2: by jumping in front of him.
3: Nobody was hurt, but they were both taken into custody.
2: So four of them worked for Disney. Overall, there's 100 people caught up in this thing. Now, this matters because you've got parents fighting for school boards. You've got Disney fighting back against parents that fought for school boards, against governors that are standing up for their states. This is not isolated to one place or another. It's happening all across America. The examples I'm using are from Florida and from Pennsylvania, but this doesn't mean it's not a very pervasive problem. You've got teachers that swear that they would prefer to lose their jobs than not teach this stuff. Listen to this.
0: I just want to go ahead and state that I would rather lose my job than out one of my students to their families. Um, being a safe person and a safe place for kids that don't have that at home is one of the best parts of being a teacher. Um, so, yeah, I'm not doing it. I don't know. Fire me. Sue me. Take me to jail. I'm not doing it.
2: So there you go. Now, this woman, she's wearing a shirt that says pride, 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 pride. Clearly a political statement. uh, If nothing else, a gender statement, if you will. But my point is she became a teacher to indoctrinate children to create this quote unquote safe space. She didn't say I'm going to become a teacher so we can teach your kids how to speak and to write and to, you know, do what you do in elementary school. I mean, we thought the indoctrination was happening in college. Whoa. Did we get it wrong? Now, speaking of teachers, this gets very pervasive now. According to the national file.com, an Oregon fourth grade teacher was charged with attempted rape, the attempted rape of two minors. Police recovered handcuffs and a roll of duct tape when Andrew Burt Hammond was arrested. March 30th, national file. So relatively recent article a couple of days ago. A fourth grade teacher from McMinnville Elementary School in Oregon has been arrested and charged with two counts of attempted rape of a child in Redmond, Washington. Mm Andrew Burt Hammond, a 50-year-old male, was arrested during an undercover operation. According to the city of Redmond, Hammond was arrested as part of an undercover operation where law enforcement used decoy profiles on location-based social networking and dating apps. The fourth-grade teacher has been charged with four counts of communication with a minor for immoral purposes, second-degree attempted rape of a child, and third-degree attempted rape of a child. Bail has been set at $100,000 while Hammond remains in the King County Correctional Facility. According to the statement, law enforcement began interacting with Hammond in October. Detectives posed as teenage girls and had interactions with Hammond who wanted to meet with who he thought were underage girls. After months of sexually motivated communications, Hammond proposed meeting with the miners at a hotel in Redmond on March 25th to engage in sexual activity. Hammond was arrested after checking into his hotel room, according to the report. Now look, this is wrong, no matter how you look at it. This guy, and there's a picture of him, Mr. Hammond here, he's wearing like a pink onesie with bunny ears. He's a weird looking guy. And he's clearly into kids. Now, I believe in redemption. I believe in Jesus. I think that we can help people to go on a better path and maybe they need to be incarcerated for sure to get them away from kids. But we have to do a way better job at screening people. Now, I get that some of these people are really um, elusive and they're really good at, at being predators. And many times they're the product of being preyed on themselves as children and abused. But this is Pervasive. This is a big problem. Excuse me, LifeSite News. Homosexual teacher on leave after allegedly sending inappropriate image to middle schooler. Police have been called to do an investigation on Dean Wright, an Oregon teacher, for allegedly sending a nude photo to a student. Salem, Oregon. Homosexual Oregon public school teacher, Dean Wright, faces a criminal investigation for allegedly sending nude photos of himself to at least one student. Here's a quote from the article. Today, I received a report of an inappropriate image believed to be of a staff member being shared on social media, Principal Alicia Kruska of the Judson Middle School. And it goes on. This is happening all over the West Coast, and it's been happening for years. When I worked with Project Veritas, people were blowing the whistle on this stuff, saying, hey, look, we've got teachers out here that are trying to have sex ed courses where they're teaching students that It's important to uh, explore your sexuality by maybe getting naked with somebody of either sex and getting into a pair of oversized uh, jogging pants and experimenting that way. They were teaching this in public school. Big story that came out in 2014 and 2015. So you're thinking that's half a dozen years ago more. And here we are today. Clearly, it's not that they're seeping through the cracks here. This is a pervasive problem that's being promoted and it's happening right under our noses. So it's up to each and every one of us. It's up to every single parent that's out there to really make sure we're on top of things and stop trusting things. And again, we can believe in the power of redemption. We can perhaps know some of these people They're in our community. Listen, I do believe in forgiveness, but I also believe in being judicious. I believe in doing what's right to protect our kids and we have to do that. Anyway, more to come on that stuff if we have time. Plus, I want to get into uh, what I didn't get into on the other program about AOC and Que Mala eres, uh, the Vice President of the United States. But we also have some audio that I want to play, and there's our focus our spotlight on American entrepreneurship. And this time I want to focus on somebody from the East coast in New York city that created a safety accessory because people are so overwhelmed with crime in big cities like Pennsylvania and New York city, that this young lady decided that she was going to create something to keep herself safe. And she's got a new product. So we're going to talk to her as well. So more to come straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. I am rich Valdez at rich Valdez on all of the social media. This is America.
0: This is America. This is America. He's brown,
2: he's bald, and he's breaking it down. This is America with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And as you know, we uh, love to do a spotlight on American entrepreneurship. And one of the entrepreneurs that we want to focus on is uh, Kate Davis, Kate Davis started a company called Knockout uh, out of New York City, and uh, there's so many reasons why I love what's going on here. Uh, A, I love the name, it's kind of in your face, it's very bold, and what it does, and it's not just a jewelry accessory company, but she's the founder of a, what I'm going to call a safety accessories company, and they have a new product that's coming out, but I want to start at the beginning and learn about what exactly gave uh, birth to all of this, so Kate, welcome to This Is America.
4: Hi, thank you for having me.
2: It's my pleasure. So tell us a little bit about how you, I mean, obviously from your interviews on the media and your social media, you you seem really young. And even if you're blessed with the, you know, the good looks of somebody looks young, you're not very old, right? So how did somebody <laughs> as young as you, uh, what's the personal story? What's the impetus around uh, starting this company?
4: Yeah, so I grew up in New York City and I am currently 30 um, and my whole life I've thought about safety. It's something that my parents ingrained in me as a young person navigating the world by myself in the city and the normal dangers here. And I thought that was my experience alone or the experience of other city kids who I knew. And as I got older and spoke with friends about their experiences with personal safety, I realized this was such a broader conversation that needed to be had that wasn't happening about women's safety in particular.
2: Yeah. So you took that and you said, all right, so there's, there's this issue that, that exists and it definitely exists. I'm the dad of two daughters, 16 and 20. And I know that this exists. I know it's not easy to be a woman uh, because of things that, you know, things that don't happen to me, right? A 220 pound ball had a guy with a beard. I don't get the same attention that you get, right? So uh, I get it, and I've learned it uh, really kind of first hand or second hand, I should say, from my daughter's growing up. But what was it that you did, and how did you come up with this idea to make the uh, knockout ring?
4: Yeah, so I started making these rings for myself and my friends, and I was getting amazing feedback about the rings. I was making them as fun accessories that had a sharp edge that made made me feel safer and. I was going out and getting questions from strangers, other women. I started to do some small pop-ups at little, you know, holiday markets. And women were flocking over to my table and telling me, oh, my gosh, I put keys between my fingers. And this totally replaces that. I would feel so much safer with one of these rings, which flip from... Lot to sharp to have a self-defense edge on them, and I realized, oh wow, there's a market here that I didn't even realize that I thought was just me and my friends.
2: Cool. So, so you started this as a as a concept really for yourself, and then you're like, hey, it's kind of a hobby. Let me sell them at at, at these little pop-up shops that you're doing, and realized this could actually be something. It could be a business, and I could move forward with it.
4: Exactly. Yeah.
2: All right. Now, fast forward a couple of years and just a week ago or right 10 days ago, there was this article in all the New York papers where there were these long lines of women waiting to get pepper spray, mainly Asian-American women, because there's so many Asian-American hate crimes going on in the city. And uh, lo and behold, Knockout has a brand new product. Tell us about it.
4: Yeah. So I have been developing a pepper spray for the past year and a half now, since the beginning of the pandemic, basically where I was seeing this rise in anti Asian violence, but also, you know, this violence against women that I think is pretty consistent. And I wanted to make something that changed the way we thought about pepper spray because I think I would never have thought to carry pepper spray before. And most of my friends and people in my circle wouldn't either because so many of the options that are out there look very militaristic or kind of look like something a man might want to carry, not necessarily something that A 29 or 30 year old woman might want to carry or somebody who's, you know, like your daughters Mm -hmm. in college or just out of college where you want it to match your personal style and you want it to represent something about you where it's not just, you know, something that your dad gives you that you keep buried at the bottom of your bag.
2: You know, it's funny when you mentioned before about the keys and between the knuckles and all that. Uh, so I did, I did buy my kid a pepper spray. It's a pink one. And I found it at AutoZone of all places. It was small yeah. and it was pink. And I was like, that's not like the one that I have, but you know, hopefully it does the same thing. I tested it out. It seemed to work, but it didn't look like it would, you'd get as much use out of it as uh, the size that I have. But either way, great point is that my daughter, she's, you know, she did some uh, pre-college work at FIT. She's all about making a statement and how she dresses and what she wears. And, and when I read this this article about you. I said, oh my gosh, this is great because I'm a big believer in pepper spray going into the city and doing this work and talk radio. Sometimes I say things that other people don't like. Sometimes they even want to come at me. Who knows? So I'm always prepared for that type of thing. And I actually once, believe it or not, talking about violence against women, I was uh, getting off the subway and there was a guy, I think he was a homeless guy, and he was going after girls, probably a little older than my daughter, maybe a little younger than you, 20 something, and uh, trying to like get her attention. And she had her AirPods in and she couldn't tell that he was trying he got angry that she wasn't paying him Mm -hmm. any attention and so he went to grab her elbow and I happened to be right behind her like you know three feet away from her so uh you know I put my hand out and I was like stop leave her alone she doesn't want to talk to you and he uh turned his ire to me and put his hand in his bag and he said oh I'm about to kill you and he started digging around his bag and I said I don't know what this guy has in his bag but I didn't give him a chance to really find it I hit him with the pepper spray it immediately disabled him he took like 10 steps backwards screaming crying grabbing his face and when it looked safe i got out of there and i did what i had to do and get on the train but and again that's me i'm a big dude i could defend myself Um uh, yeah. but she had no idea that was coming and pepper spray saved the day i didn't have to hit anybody i didn't have to get hurt you know he he went on to have a better day i'm sure after his eyes stopped burning but bottom line was <laughs> it it, it could have been worse right he could have caught a beating and he didn't
4: right You know That's such a great point because it's a non-lethal weapon, but it really does the trick. And that's something that I'm really trying to promote on my social media channels and to share with young women who might not normally carry pepper spray, which is it really is a game changer and it levels the playing field because you might not have the physical strength to fight somebody back, but if you have pepper spray, you can get out of a bad situation. It works. It's yeah. like rubbing your eyes with hot chili pepper. It's not a pleasant experience.
2: So tell everybody if they want to get one. And I want to urge every dad that's listening and any of my daughter's friends that listen to the show, I want to urge everybody to get one because I saw a picture of it. I don't know how the actual size of it was, but it looked like it was about the size of a lighter, which I thought was very convenient for a woman. But you tell me, give us the size, the dimension and where they can get it.
4: Yes, it's a little bit larger than a lighter. It's the size that you can order to any state that has size restrictions across the U.S. So it's a half ounce and fits in your bag, but also it comes with a lanyard that you can put around your wrist. So you always have it on hand and you can buy it on my website. I'm taking pre-orders starting today at shopknockout.co. And then they'll ship in the next couple of weeks.
2: Excellent. That's shopknockout.co, shopknockout.co. And I guess in the minute that we have left, give us uh, some closing thoughts on, you know, where the product is going and anything else you want to add.
4: Yeah. So I love that you called Knockout a safety accessories brand because that's where we're going. So it was really just a jewelry brand for a long time. And my goal is to create more and more products that women really want to carry with them that will give them confidence to move through the world and not have to think about safety, you know, when they're walking down the subway steps in the same way that they worry now.
2: Excellent. Well, I definitely plan to get a couple. Uh, I'll be giving them out as gifts. I'll urge everybody buy two, give one out as a gift, because this is one of those things. Trust me, when they use it, they're going to thank you for it. And if they never have to use it, that's good too. Uh, shop knockout.co. Kate Davis, thank you for joining us today.
4: Thank you so much.
2: You got it. More to come straight ahead. on Rich Valdez. This is America.
3: This is America. Forty-fifth President
1: Donald Trump thinks it's an honor to speak with Rich Valdez. Oh, very good, Mr. Cole Screener. Yeah, but it's an honor. Thanks, Rich. The honor is all yours. Conservative talk with a dash of sofrito. Now, here's Rich Valdez.
2: All right, America, everybody. Welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And I want to talk about things domestically here. What's going on with Joe El Baboso Biden and... uh, There's a lot of interesting stuff going on, obviously, not the least of which is people want answers regarding Hunter Biden and his laptop. It seems pretty clear that Hunter Biden was uh, trading on his father's name to make a lot of money. It sure does. And it also seems like he cut deals with China. He cut deals with just about everybody that he could. And somehow cut his dad in on this business. Now, again, I had a, a little trip to get my cafecito at the Cuban spot and my buddy Ruben, he tells me, no, 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 Richie. No, 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 no. He, he's he's not siding with Biden, but he's saying, look, I've seen propaganda my whole life. I come from Cuba. You can't buy this stuff. It's clear that this is Russian propaganda. And I said, man, I thought we went through that in October and we proved that wrong. So clearly there's a lot of people out there that still don't believe all of this and that believe that Hunter Biden is innocent until proven guilty and that he is. So we're going to stay tuned on that. But it makes um, a lot of sense to me that Joe Biden wants everybody to have an electric car. He's willing to bet the house on it. He's willing to create executive orders around it. And uh, he had something to say about it, saying you're going to save money if you do that, even though... I don't know that we'll actually be able to save any money because, well, we'll have brownouts. But people say, no, 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 we can handle it. We can go with the whole electric car thing, everybody having one, not like it is now, where they're few and far between. Listen to this. Under my plan, which is before the Congress now, we can take advantage of the next generation of electric vehicles that a typical driver will save about $80 a month from not having to pay gas at the pump. If your home is powered by... All right, whatever. 80 bucks a month, I think you're full of it, Mr. President. But who's going to clean up your messes when you say things like this? Well, that's because Jen Pasaki will be circling back anymore. Pasaki to leave for MSNBC in May. Well, hasta luego. Hasta la bye-bye. I-, I can't say I'm going to miss her, and the writing's been on the wall. She's been saying she's going to leave for a while, and the other person, her boss, has been stepping in for her quite often, the White House comms director. So, peace. Now, who comes in? Some other clown for the clown show. But what's also happening at the end of May is this Title 42 restriction that was uh, enacted to prevent people from being vaccinated during the pandemic, people coming in at the border. Now, in March, 62,000 illegal immigrants got past Border Patrol. This is on top of um, everything else that we've been hearing about. So, It's going to be a very ugly May. The only good thing that may come out of uh, May for President Biden is going to be, you know, his massaging of the numbers, of course, but saying, oh, we got a great jobs report and that, you know, things haven't gotten worse. But I think they're going to get worse because more and more is coming out. You've got Hillary Clinton that was just fined by the FEC, uh, the Federal Elections Commission. And you're thinking, Rich, why is that even a big deal? It's a big deal because Typically, these people don't get in any trouble. They always walk away uh, unscathed. This time, this is uh, not huge. There's no bars. There's no orange jumpsuit. And nor will there be, in my opinion. But I think it's important in the way that the politicians think in Washington. Having spent some time in Trenton, in Governor Christie's administration, I can tell you, I learned a lot about the swamp that's in Trenton and how bureaucrats work. Fascinating the way they think. And... A win there is not the win that you and I, we the people think. A win there is sometimes getting that. They negotiate. All right, so what are we going to do? Oh, How about probation? No, no. How about a fine? How about the FEC says, sure, that was a lie. The the PP tape was a lie. This was a lie. That was a lie. And now she's on the record as being a liar, colluding with the DNC to falsify these documents and make Trump look bad. And that's it. That's as much as you're going to get. They're going to correct the record. Lamentably, that's the way things work in politics. Maybe there'll be a change to that uh, in my lifetime, but I haven't really seen it yet. Now, more is coming. There's always a slow drip, drip, drip. And when I say drip, 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 I don't mean conspiracy drip, drip, drip. I mean the drip, drip, drip of the way things happen very slowly in the swamp. Rear clear investigations. Election overseer found DNC... And Alexandra Chalupa broke rules over Ukraine, then reversed its finding after January 6th. This is a good headline. Let's see what happens here. Although ex-Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort was never charged with conspiring with Russia, he did go to jail for, among other things, failing to register as a foreign agent in Ukraine. The Democrat National Committee operative who helped him get booted from the campaign should be investigated for the same exact violation, according to Republican senators. Former DNC contractor and opposition researcher Alexandra Ali Chalupa not only worked closely with the Ukrainian embassy and the Clinton campaign trading dirt on Manafort and Trump, but also Congress and the Obama White House, uh, according to um, the FBI. At the center of the Ukraine Foreign uh, Influence plan was alexandra chalupa and this is according to chuck grassley excuse me from the senate judiciary committee so alexandra chalupa and again that's the name of a sandwich from taco bell and on a quick aside i guess it's not really a sandwich if it's like a taco but is a burrito a taco no but is a burrito a sandwich no it's like a wrap i don't know if you're a chef let me know i'd love to know at rich Valdez, with an s at rich Valdez, i'm always inquiring anyway So as more things come out, as it it seems we're setting the stage and correcting the record, I think everybody knows that they're going to lose. You've got AOC that seems intent, right? She seems like she really, really knows that she's going to lose. Not that she's going to lose, but the Democrats are going to lose. She's in one of the safest districts ever. As you guys know, I considered running against her at one point and tested the waters, went to a few of the uh, Republican clubs in Queens and spoke with some people in the Bronx and decided... We didn't have enough to mount a winning campaign at that time to beat her. Plus, it wasn't really that. I mean, there was always you could always infuse a lot of cash and try to gain momentum. But it was that my career in radio was really uh, becoming more popular. I was getting more airtime, and I said, you know what? This is a chance that probably won't come later. So I had to take that opportunity. And uh, she went on to win, obviously, and and is, in my opinion, immovable unless you bring a serious campaign. Now, somebody can win. There can they can pull off an upset, but it won't be an upset like. Uh, running as a Trumper, because I don't think Trump could win in that district because it's not that they're radical like she is, but they're definitely not conservative like she is either. But New York Post, here's the headline, collapse of support. AOC says Biden is in real danger amongst Democrat voters saying this in an interview she did with New York One host Errol Lewis, we need to acknowledge that this isn't just about the middle of the road. Increasingly, it's becoming a narrow band of independent voters. But this is really about the collapse of support amongst young people, amongst the Democratic base, feeling like they worked overtime to get this president elected and they aren't necessarily being seen. Whoa. So AOC... And she's always maintained that independent, I'm a real Marxist, I'm an absolute leftist, this is where I live, this is where I be. So I got it, I understand how it works. And I think I might agree with her on this. I do think there's gonna be a split. The Bernie bros and the AOC all out crazies, they've gotta go somewhere and they're not necessarily gonna get behind him or his partner in crime, who I like to call, que mala eres, which means how bad she is in Spanish, because Joe El Baboso Biden and que mala eres are a losing duo. I don't think they can win again. Now I think, of course, he's going to try and turn things around and become a knight in shining armor and, of course, do the um, the Democrat thing, of course, and try to claim victory over everything. But I don't know if it's enough because people vote their pocketbooks. It was the raging Cajun, James Carville, Clinton's campaign guy, that said it best. It's the economy, stupid. So I think we need to stay focused on that. And I think as people are spending more and more money at, uh, at the gas pump and less and less on other things, more and more money on their groceries and less and less on other things, that's going to affect the economy overall because less trips to the restaurants, smaller trips to the fast food restaurants. You get it. It's not going to work. It's going to continue to shrink. That's why he's setting the stage for food shortages and this and that and trying to blame it all on Putin, just like he tried to blame the whole wheat thing on Putin, where we don't necessarily consume Russian wheat (laughs) or Ukrainian wheat, for that matter, at least not in large part. And it was so interesting to see how he's setting the stage this way. And he's doing it right in concert with so many of his global partners saying the same thing. The money's going to become more scarce. Food's going to become more scarce. We've seen this before. Uh, not so much this way, but when ammo became scarce, when uh, money became rather more inflated, when gas prices started to creep up four or five bucks a gallon during the Obama years, we've been through this stuff before. We've seen how it works and we were able to rebound. And I think we'll be able to rebound again. That's the key part here. I think everybody thinks that when things get bad, this is it. This is the end. The floor is going to fall out from under us. And, you know, everybody's going to take over the, the country and it's the new world order. And they've been fighting over a new world order forever and a day. And it doesn't mean that they're not getting it. I think they're closer and closer to getting it. And that will inevitably happen. I think there will inevitably be a social credit score like China. We are going to live in that world because we have an addiction to cell phones. And now to unlock your cell phone, so many people scan their face. I mean, that's one of the craziest things I've ever seen. My insurance app, when I go to pay my car insurance, it's tells, do you want to set up your face scan? I'm thinking, no, why would I want to do that? I mean, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm I'm cool with technology, but I don't need you in my face, like legitimately in my face. So big tech, get out of my face. Big Russia, big China, all of these uh, commies, they need to get out of my face. Anyway, straight ahead, I got a little bit more. I've got a little bit of an epilogue since I didn't do it in the beginning. I'll do it at the end that I want to talk about on a few different things. And I wanted to save time for that. So don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. WPHT. I am Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. In times like these, it's so important that we focus on the facts. I always tell you to focus on the facts. I think you hear that everywhere you go, and that's because facts are irrefutable. It's the bottom line. It's the real deal. And in times like this of uncertainty, we need to rely on the facts. I get my facts from JustFacts.com. That's F-A-C-T-S, JustFacts.com. Go to JustFacts.com and sign up for their newsletter. JustFacts.com forward slash Rich. Just put my name in there and you'll get it for free. Justfacts.com slash rich. This is America. He's making podcasting great again. This is America with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Big shout out to everybody listening in New York, in Philly, in California, and Texas. Uh, We have big audiences in those places, and I appreciate the listenership. Thank you for tuning in and, of course, for sharing this show with all of your friends on social media. I'm at Rich Valdez, by the way, at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. And I want to talk about a few different things, uh, kind of a little bit of a smorgasbord. I don't know where that term comes from. Definitely not Puerto Rico, but I'm going to adopt it today. I'm going to culturally appropriate the term smorgasbord so that we can cover a multitude of topics because there's a few things that I want to share That uh, from all over the place, whether it's Kamala Harris on gas prices uh, to AOC's craziness. And uh, I just heard news last week. I wrote it down. I didn't get a chance to talk about it last week. But there's there's a news station, BNC, Black News Channel, that's going out of business. And I thought to myself, gee, who didn't see that one coming? And just the same way I would not imagine that a network known as WNC or White News Channel would not also fail miserably. Of course it would. Why? Because the majority of the people that we live with, that we associate with, our neighbors, our friends, our fellow Americans, they want to live their lens peacefully, their, their life through a lens of peace, not through a lens of racism. But interestingly enough, I am old enough to remember a time where we once wanted to live in a colorblind society where I know, at least for me, I tried to teach my children this as well. I would go out of my way to describe things as, oh, the guy wearing the jersey and the jeans and the Timberland boots to not use race, right? Or the guy wearing the green shirt and the khaki pants, you know, or two guys pulled up in a BMW and I would never use race as a descriptor when recounting a story because I didn't want that to be part of my description. I didn't feel like it mattered what their race was. I wasn't giving a report to the police, and I wasn't talking on the radio. Now, on the radio, you've got to paint the more colorful picture. You've got to say, you know, hey, Rich Valdez, he's bald. He's got a beard. He's a little bit tan, Puerto Rican guy, kind of stocky, 220 pounds. Uh, You know, then now you have an image of what this guy looks like, and you can kind of, you know, use your mind's eye and theater of the mind in the radio world. We try to be descriptive. But in my regular life, I didn't do that because I didn't want to create any preconceived notions for the people I was telling the story to. I wanted them to fill in their own blanks and come up to their own conclusions. But the founders of critical race theory, as it has been taught in universities and now in classrooms, they argue that Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech and ideology about the beloved community was wrong, and that we shouldn't focus on living in a colorblind society because that minimizes one's color. And I thought to myself, I thought that was the point. However, the point here isn't to minimize color, but to hyper-focus on it. At least that's the position of the left. They want to have an unending conversation about race and why things are not equitable. In in other words, they don't ever want it to be equitable because it's about the fight. Now, I know many are, are... altruistic and they're coming from a good place. And they're saying, no, there's inequity, and we want to fix it. And I respect those people. I really do. Even though I don't think that that is a, a huge problem, but it is a problem. I'm not going to negate that. And I'm not going to make any knee jerk reaction and say that there's no inequity and that there's no racism because that would be ignorant. However, I am going to say that the problem is not as pervasive as they've painted it to be, especially in the media and in academia. Now that doesn't mean things don't exist. So I want to share a story that I think encapsulates this. I listen to a radio show. I listen to lots of radio, hip-hop radio, talk radio, all sorts of stuff, NPR, you name it. I listen to everything because I want to hear all these different perspectives, different styles on the radio and all that. I'm a radio geek. And I heard a host say on a morning show, no, no, not the great Rich Zioli. That's a great crew you guys got in the morning. Something in a different market. In response to a relation segment, uh, relationship segment that they were doing, that the mom in the scenario that they were describing was wrong because she signed off on a letter to to them asking for advice with her mother-in-law, her grandmother, saying that she's thankful for her two beautiful light-skinned babies. Now, to give you some context, she's a white woman married to a black man, and the one issue that they were having was that her husband is biracial, so him being half white and half black and her, her grandmother took exception to her teaching her kids to identify as black because she's white. So in her grandmother's view was that they were 75% white or two-thirds white and only, you know, a third black or 25% black in her opinion. So they shouldn't identify as black. Now, irrespective of her story, my reaction was really to the response of the show's host. He went on to share his own personal opinion, which is fair and it's fine. That's not a problem. But it was the lens that he used. He saw things through the lens of racism. And he viewed the whole story uh, that I I found it very troubling because he saw the whole thing as forget her problem. She shouldn't be saying that her light skinned kids are beautiful. And I thought, what parent doesn't want to call their light skinned kids beautiful? Any mom would. But he felt that you can't give praise to light-skinned kids because we live in a world where there's already praise being put on light-skinned people. In fact, I think he said they're already celebrated. And I wish I had the audio, but I don't have it, so that's why I'm just kind of encapsulating this. Making the case that you can only pour praise onto people that have darker skin or coarser hair texture, because he brought that up as well, and went on to say that the color of your skin and the texture of your hair dictates how you live and how you'll be treated in life by society at large. I was blown away because being a Puerto Rican guy, I've had a fair amount of success in an in industry that's, I'm going to say, dominated by people that are not Puerto Rican, right? And mainly because... I don't know too many other Puerto Rican guys that want to be in talk radio, especially conservative talk radio. But I know that that was once an issue. And I test these boundaries on a pretty regular basis because, again, I am a brown guy to use their words. I use some Spanish words on the air and a little bit of humor. I've held on to a nickname that Mark Levin gave me, the liberty-loving Latino amigo. And my buddy Curtis Sliwa called me the voice of Hispanic conservatives. Uh, somebody once called me El Conservador. So... I do test these boundaries, and I know people don't like that stuff. I know it ticks off the, uh, this is America, speak English. Yeah, I I, I get it. I'm not going to win them all. But I also know that Roberto Giganti, also known as the late, great Bob Grant, he chose a stage name that was more anglicized because his name was too ethnic or too Italian. Or my uh, former program director at a talk radio station in New York. His name, Dave Labrosi. I used to call him Luca Brazzi. But he went with a stage name of Dave Anthony because when he got into radio, it was also too ethnic. But radio isn't like that today. And that's the point that I'm making, that there's been so much of an evolution that we really need to take that into account when we look at these situations where people are saying this and saying that and stop going so um, hyper-focused on race because I think we're missing the mark. We're falling into the trap of being focused on division instead of being focused on unity and that's why it's important to stand up for things and i always tell people you got to stand for something because if you stand for nothing you'll fall for anything that's hamilton and the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to do nothing so make sure you do something and tune into this is america saturdays at noon sundays at 6 a.m hasta la próxima until the next one i am rich valdez valdez with an s and this is america